Over the last three, four weeks, we've been going through a series on having an awe of who God is, of, of understanding. We, the first one that we looked at was having an awe of, of God, uh, really not an awe of God, but an awe of uh, how awe matters and how we view the world. And we looked at uh, worldview and how, how our awe of God matters to how we see life and how we live our lives out and really looking at it in a big overarching idea. The next one we looked at was how our awe matters to us as a church, how we live our lives amongst one another, how we live as a church that God has called us to be. And then last week we looked at how awe matters to just remembering God and, and, and seeing God for who God is. This week we're going to be looking at how awe matters to our spiritual warfare in our lives. You know, we need to never underestimate our opponent. We need to, and, and whether you are in the sports arena or in the, on the battlefield, a principle that is, that is always there is to never underestimate your opponent. It's then when, when we do that, we take our eyes off the opponent and, we, and they receive the upper hand. They more easily see the weaknesses in our defenses. They can more easily exploit those found those found weaknesses. You know, a common historical story that shows that of, of people who, of someone who underestimated the enemy was at the Battle of Little Bighorn. General Custer underestimated the Indian tribes there and what happened? Completely defeated. Completely defeated. The U.S. 7th Cavalry was a force of about 700 men, suffered a major defeat, and there was roughly some 250 cavalrymen killed in that battle. They suffered a major defeat when Lieutenant Colonel George Armstrong Custer led them into battle, underestimating those he was going into battle against. See, each and every day, we as Christians come under spiritual attack. There's not a day that goes by that you and I don't undergo spiritual attack. Sometimes that attack may be subtle. It may be overt. It may be loud and bombastic. It might be literally direct. I mean, it's, there's no hiding, no, no nothing. It's just right there, right in your face. Or it might even be a patient, slow-burning attack. Much like the idea of what God chose to use, how he used Israel around Jericho. Think about Jericho. They were probably wondering, when are these guys going to actually make the attack, right? So we're thinking about warfare. You know, sin does not always attack us where we, we see it. Oftentimes it attacks us through the using of our own flesh, our own sinful nature. Not every time our, our, when we are tempted by sin is it directly from Satan himself because we know Satan is not able to be omnipresent. His influence is there. There, there are those of his followers, the, the demons that are, are out there, yes. But often, and I would say more often than not, it's just because of our own sinful flesh. It can be seen through the entertainment and sports. I was even talking with Tim Feebig before the, 
Sunday school this morning, and we saw evidence of this in last night after the Michigan-Michigan State game. There was a, a fight, 10 people ganging up on another individual. I, I don't know all the details. They haven't released it all, but it's under police investigation. They didn't go into that game expecting to do that to other people or having those kinds of attitudes or, or those types of things. Something egregious that happens, it's, it's sin. We see this sin through entertainment and sports. It can be seen in the reporting of current news and opinions. The avenues of attack all too often seem endless. There's never, we could not exhaust the way that we see sin attack our lives. See, as Christians, it's not a physical warfare, though there are physical, maybe, ramifications. But in our, in our life, in our, our life as a Christian, the warfare that we are fighting is spiritual, Paul mentions in Ephesians chapter 6. See, the world we live in is a world full of sin. And we must choose to respond biblically. And in order to respond biblically, we must not, we must ha- not allow our awe capacity to land anywhere but on God, God's character, God's nature, and God's work. If we're going to stand against the wiles of the devil, if we're going to stand against sin, if we're going to stand and, and, and be faithful to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to our wonderful God, then we must not allow our awe to be pulled into directions that are sinful and pulled away from the one true God. See, if we're to stand against sin, if we are to, when necessary, flee and run from sin, if we are to preach truth and righteousness, if we are to live holy before God while in the war for our lives, we must live in awe of God. Have you ever looked at your Christian life as that? It is literally a war for your life. So our big idea this morning is that living in awe of God strengthens your stand against sin's attack. Living in awe of God strengthens your stand against sin's attacks. So as we look into God's word this morning and see that living in awe of God strengthens our stand against sin, we're going to look at a couple different texts this this morning. And the first text that we're going to look at is Genesis, take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. See, this morning we're going to see that because of sin we have an all problem that directs our heart and mind to be predisposed to living with an awe that lands nowhere near God. It is because of sin Sin predisposes us to living with an awe that is not on God. And we're going to see that in this battle with sin, as believers, it can be won when not dependent on our own strength, not relying on our own selves. And it is this dependence on God that we see God has given to us what we need to fight back. So our first point this morning 
is that living in awe of God aids in understanding one's own sinfulness. When you and I are living in awe of who God is, it helps you and I understand our own sinfulness. I was just talking with my dad yesterday, and he made a statement to me. He's like, Aaron, sometimes I, I think we just need to really, there's a lot of things where we just need to admit that sin is sin and admit that we are as sinful as we are. See, living in awe of God aids in understanding one's own sinfulness. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, as God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You, will surely, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. This is a narrative that we all have heard multiple times. And in this narrative, Adam and Eve were poised with a decision in these verses. They were presented with a decision. God had given them one command, I should say, that we clearly see in Scripture. Obviously, we know that Adam was commanded to, and the responsibility of maintaining the garden. But we see that they were told not to eat of this one tree. And every time I read through this passage, whenever I read the, the fall of man and as sin entered into the world, I think of the sign on the wall that says, wet paint, don't touch. <laughs> Everybody wants to touch it. We have stained glass windows in here, so you can't really say, don't look outside, it's raining. You know, you, you, if you're in those rooms, when I was a youth pastor, there was a huge wall that was all glass windows. I eventually had to turn the room around so they can't, wouldn't keep staring out the windows because you could actually then, there's a little courtyard thing, and on the other side was another wall of windows in the auditorium. And you could actually see all the way to the other side. And you tell them, don't look over there. And what do we naturally want to do? We want to look. Well, it wasn't original with us. <laughs> See, God had established Adam as the ruler of creation on, God, on his behalf of, of maintaining the garden. And Adam was held responsible for sin as he sinned with his eyes wide open. He wasn't deceived like Eve was. And we see in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. Sin entered into the world. Adam and Eve, their awe was taken off of the God who created them. 
and placed on their own desires. Their own fleshly desires. Adam and Eve had an all problem. And see, Satan, through temptation, questioned the word of God. He, told, he, he deceived Eve and, and lied to Eve about what God actually said. You know, Satan even disguised himself, and clearly he was, Eve was not alarmed by, by Satan. Now, I don't know, obviously us this side of the fall, if a snake came up or some type of serpent or reptile started talking to us verbally, we would think there's something wrong, either with us or that that's talking to us. But clearly Eve didn't think anything of it. She wasn't taken back by it. She wasn't scared. There was something probably attractive and alluring about it. And Satan tempts and deceives Eve. You know, Satan hasn't changed his mode of operations. It's still done the same way. He still uses deception and an attractiveness to bring us into sin, to cause us to fall, to mislead us. How often do we justify, though, what is truly sin? How often do you justify what is truly sin? I was just joking. (laughs) I didn't really mean it. See, the reality of this situation is that Satan directly dismissed God's word, but did so in a deceptive way. He made God's word as something that was subjective in life. Something that they could choose whether or not to obey. It wasn't absolute. It's okay. It's, it's, it, you can frame it how you want. It's not really what God said. Nothing's changed. How often do we find ourselves trying to take biblical text, God's word for us, to justify how we are living? We live in a subjective world. We live in a world that takes truth and makes it subjective. We'll see some of that even tonight. But today we see in our society this, this idea that the, Satan wants to lie, the same lie that Satan gave to Eve, the same deception, the same all of that is alive and well today. See, Adam and Eve fell prey to the lie and gave in to the temptation. See, our lives get messed up by sin when we begin to let our thinking go in a direction that is contrary to God's word. And a lot of times, if we're not careful, it is a deceptive walking away from the direction and the truth of God's word. See, God's word is absolute truth. Eve was not walking by faith in what God had told her, but she was walking by sight. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. 
See, this verse explains how Eve chose to live. She chose to please her own desires rather than obedience to God's word. Her awe was misplaced. And what we see in in this story of the fall of man, the fall of Adam and Eve, and sin entering into the world, we see that awe of God is very quickly replaced by an awe of self. An awe of God is quickly replaced by an awe of self. We are sinful people. In his book, Awe, Paul Tripp kind of coined this phrase. He said they had an awe wrongedness. They unfortunately allowed an awe of having knowledge like God and something they did not have over all that God had given them. Often when we fall into sin and when those, those darts are firing our way and, and we're, we're battling spiritually, oftentimes it's those things that we don't have that we want that cause us to fall, that cause us to sin. Their, their awe for these things that they didn't have blinded them from the beauty of God and the importance of the obedience of obedience to God. If you think about it, they're standing in a, in a wonderful created garden. You can only imagine how beautiful it was. I just look at the earth today and the world today and the beauty of the world. God's creation. Can you just, I mean, it would have been, had to have been beautiful. And there's a whole lot more fruit than that one tree that they could eat from that I'm sure tasted Amazing. But they chose to sin. They chose to disobey. They chose to take their awe off of who God was, is. And what did that sin do? It immediately broke the fellowship and the relationship they had with God. See, the patterns of sin and its consequences that were set in the garden one commentator put, is, in the, is replayed throughout Genesis in the accounts of Cain, the generation of the flood and the men of Sodom. See, the fall means that we are, our humans are predisposed to sin. We are born sinners. See, if we are to live the godly lives that God commands and desires of us, then we must have a proper understanding of sin in our life and we need to see sin as sin. We need to stop justifying the, the wrong attitudes, the wrong thoughts. We need to be living on guard of the temptation of sin in our life. We need to remember that we are not naturally good. As I've already read from Romans 5.12, that by one man sin entered in the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. See, the sinfulness of a person is not based on the sins of their environment. It's not because of the environment they grew up in. It's not because of any of those things. It's not circumstances. It's not past experiences. It's not your heritage. See, everyone is a sinner because they were born a sinner. Everyone is born with an awe wrongness, a filling up of one's awe capacity wrongly. Men, women, fathers, mothers, grandparents, 
uncles, aunts, children of all ages place their awe in something or someone outside of God. That is our natural disposition. We are depraved. And apart from God, apart from the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross, that is what we are. And it is only because of God's grace that we can have a relationship with him, that we can have a, a, a correct awe, that, we can, that we, there's a solution to our awe problem. Living in awe of God truly results in understanding our sinfulness before him. When Adam and Eve began to understand their actions in full, they became ashamed and sought to hide from God. See, sin brings shame. Sin brings guilt. Sin brings fear. Have you ever had that moment in your life where you've, there's been sin in your life and you're, you're afraid to talk to somebody and make it right with them because you're afraid that it's going to ruin your relationship with that person? Because you had a wrong attitude towards them? And God has placed on your heart a, a, a level of, of shame and guilt that you responded wrong to somebody and you've got to make it right? Or maybe you've had a wrong attitude towards circumstances in the world and you've, you've come down hard on certain things and, and you've had a bad attitude about things and you, you put yourself in a certain position and standing on certain positions that you don't want, you can't change your position, you're fearful because then you'll look at, they'll look at you as weak because you're not standing firm on what you believe. See, we need to admit when we're wrong. We need to admit when we have sinned, when we have wrong attitudes. The fear of rejection can creep in. We begin to feel the weight of the guilt that we want to get rid of, uh, uh, but our own sin hinders us from admitting we sinned. Remember when I was in high school, I worked at a golf course in Houghton Lake. And part of my job was putting golf carts, cleaning them and putting them away after people were done. And we had had a busy day and I had the carts lined up on the side of the, the pro shop and I was spraying them down with the hose and I had a long line, probably one line, but probably 20, 30 car carts out there. The uh, head maintenance guy, grounds guy, had, had driven over to the clubhouse with his, with his truck. It was an S10 and he had backed it up and the back of his truck was in the area where I cleaned the carts. And carts don't have rear mirrors and so Typically, there's not vehicles behind the golf carts. And I got, I got, in, got into the golf cart, and I, I floored the gas pedal. And I looked over my right shoulder, didn't see anything there. I never did look over my left shoulder. And as I floored that golf cart backwards, I slammed into the bed of that S10 and put a huge dent in the back of it. My first reaction was, I am going to get fired my next reaction was I moved the cart forward, got it out of there just in case there was paint on the back of it, put it in the cart barn, and I started cleaning in the cart barn and did not come out of the cart barn. Now, why did I do those things? And I kept hearing the side of the, the pro shop door, which went into the kitchen. I, I literally had a pit in my stomach. I mean, I, I could not have eaten anything at that point. 
Here's the pastor, the preacher's kid that just slammed into the guy's truck. And I remember, I hear the door open, I hear the golf pro, the, the, the manager, my, my boss, walking out with the, the guy, the maintenance guy, and I hear him say some wonderfully explicit words. And at that moment, in that time, I was living in a lot of fear and shame. Now, as a 16-year-old, by God's grace, God helped me make the right decision in that moment but I was fighting it. And I walked out and I confessed my sin. And by God's grace, I ended up keeping my job and I never actually ended up having to pay anything out of it either. Um, I kept offering, I actually pulled out the $100 in my pocket from tips and I actually went to go give it to the guy and my golf said no. But I can still remember that feeling of me doing something wrong, of being irresponsible and not paying attention and being a little reckless. Is that you? Have you underst- do you understand that feeling? See, that's what sin does. See, apart from God, our awe of him and our, our view of sin will be wrong for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. See, when we have an awe problem, when we don't have our awe on, of, on God properly, sin makes life difficult. It makes it hard to be the husband or wife God prescribes in his word. Sin hinders our ability to be the godly parents he desires from us. Sin gets in the way of our work relationships, our daily thoughts and actions. Sin just muddies life up. And none of us are immune to it. See, sin grieves God. Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Sin breaks God's heart. Genesis 6, 5-6 says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. Every time you sin, you are grieving God. You cause God to grieve. See, God shares with us the sadness of his heart to see the wickedness of his creation here. But there's only one solution, and we know the solution. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It takes Jesus Christ's sacrificial death and supernatural resurrection to provide the perfect way to reconcile God amid our horrible sin. You say, well, how, if, if, if we are so horrible, if we're so sinful, if I'm going to have this awe of God, if I'm going to live in awe of God and, and truly seek to understand my sinfulness, how, how can I live righteously? Take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Our second point this morning is that living in awe of God leads to living controlled by the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God. See, God has given us a comforter. He has sent his, 
his spirit, the Holy Spirit, to reside in us. And yes, it is important for you and I this morning to understand how sinful we are. And living in awe of who God is will help us understand how sinful we are. And when you look at our sinfulness in comparison to how great and how mighty and how awesome God is, that is when we will make the righteous choices. We will make the, the, the decisions that, that help us grow in holiness, that help us grow in Christ-likeness. Now this passage in Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26, we don't have time to go through this whole passage and that was not not my intent, but I want us to see the big idea here. Paul is writing, and, and as Christians are, are to be controlled by the Spirit of God, Paul is writing, and he wants them to be controlled. He, there's, a, there's a battle with the idea of, of licentiousness and, and the idea of liberty, and, and am I free to do whatever I want? And in v- verses 13 through 15, uh, we see this idea of license. Look at uh, Galatians chapter, look at 5, verse 13. It says, for you are called the freedom, brethren. This is the idea that we are free to serve God. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, we can't just live the way we want. Romans chapter 6. But through love we are what? To serve one another. We are called to serve one another. We're no longer under law, but we're under under. God, and we're not under the law anymore. We are called to freedom. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Again, highlighting the sinfulness of us. When our awe is misplaced, that's how we are going to respond with each other. We're not going to live righteous amongst one another. And verse 16 is the verse that I want to, in 17 18, I want to focus on in this passage. And that is this. We see the Spirit and the believer. How do we live righteously? How do we live in a way that is righteous as we understand what's our sinfulness? How can, what is the encouraging part? It's that Jesus Christ set, and as he saved us, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We're sealed We are given the Holy Spirit and it is through the Holy Spirit we can live righteously. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. I love this verse. Paul uses what is called an emphatic negation. So you could reword it saying, walk by the Spirit, or the word there is really uh, the idea of being controlled, walking in step. And you cannot, there is no possible way you can fulfill the lust of your flesh. You can carry out the desires of your flesh. If you are obeying God, if you are living controlled by the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God is dictating your thoughts, your actions, your your words, you can't sin. Because we are either serving God or serving self. And if we're serving God, then we're living righteously. If we're we're living righteously, we are not going to be sinning. And so Paul is saying to walk in the Spirit or to be led by the Spirit means to daily go where the Spirit is going. 
Are you letting the Spirit of God direct your life? When there is conviction, the Spirit of God convicts you of sin in your life, what do you do with it? Do you run into the cart barn and hide? Do you do as Adam and Eve did and run and hide from God? Do you do as Jonah did, who began to fear man and fear the Ninevites? And what did he do? He disobeyed. Rather than having an awe of who God was, understand that God could keep him safe. He ran from God. Are you running from God this morning? See, there's a battle. We are in a battle. Verse 17. This is why we're to be controlled by the Spirit. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in, the, in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. There is a battle and we all experience it. Are you living in awe of God? Because living in awe of who God is and seeing who God is in in light of your sinfulness and having a proper biblical understanding of your sinfulness, not the person across the aisle, but your sinfulness. That is where we start to see ourselves grow spiritually. It's it's letting the Spirit of God lead us. It's, It's letting Him show us from His Word, from God's Word, how we can live right. No Christians are so spiritually strong or mature that they need not heed his warning. But neither are, they, are any so weak or vacillating that they cannot be free from the tyranny of the flesh through the power of the Spirit. Again, no Christians are so spiritually strong or mature that they need not heed his warning. Don't mess around with sin. You can't handle it on your own. You need the power of God. Paul is emphasizing that a godly life is not lived under the rules of the law, but is a life led by the Spirit. It was important for the Galatians to know that just as justification is not possible by works, so sanctification cannot be achieved solely by human effort. There was teaching going around in, in the, air, the Galatia area that of, of you do this, this, and this, and this, and you can reach sanctification. Romans 8, 3 through 4 says, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemns sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Paul goes on in this passage and gives a list of manifestations of the flesh. I'm not going to go through and and list all of them for you this morning. You can see that in the text. And then he comes to verse 22, which we know verses 22 and 23 we have memorized. We have them on bulletin boards Um, We try to put fruit to them literally as visual aids. Love is apples and peace is oranges and I don't know what else kind of fruit we put with the fruit of the Spirit as 
helping bring to life a little bit of that imagery. But what is, is that these nine qualities flow into one another. They mutually are enriching and reinforcing the process of sanctification in the life of the believer. And then he comes down to verse 25 and 26. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. He's simply saying we need to be walking in step with the Spirit of God. Understand you are a sinner. I need to understand how sinful I am. That I need to have an awe of God. I need to be daily living in awe of who God is. You need to be living daily in awe of who God is. Because that will place a spotlight on the sin in your life and help you understand the sinfulness of your life. And it is then that we can live righteously. It is then we can live sanctified and place our trust and walk in the Spirit of God. In the Old Testament, we have a story of the Israelites underestimating the power and strength of a small nation called I, or Ai as some pronounce it. What happened there? Israel, after defeating Jericho, did not take the time to, to go to the Lord in prayer and talk to the Lord about how they were to go up against Ai. They went in their own confidence they went up and 36 Israelites lost their lives. And they ran backwards, retreated. They went into battle on their own laurels, their own self-confidence, only to be humiliated and defeated. When you and I try to live the Christian life and go and fight the spiritual battle that we are in on our own laurels, in our own confidence, we will end up running and retreating in humiliation. If we're to be the light that this world needs, we need to make sure that we are right with God. We have an awe of God. Because in Ephesians chapter 6, as we are fighting this spiritual battle, we know that that passage talks about in verses 10 through 20, the armor of God. God has given to you and to me the tools we need, the armor we need to fight the spiritual battle. How willing are you to take a stand against sin in your life? How much do you really want to know God? How much do you really see God for who God is? Is there sin in your life this morning that is causing you to not see God properly. The culture we live in has no room for church. They don't want us. But we see, we need to live seeking to understand who God is. We need to live righteously. 
See, living in awe of God strengthens our stand, your stand, my stand against sin's attacks. Are you living in awe of God? Because awe matters. Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. And Lord, I pray this morning that we would have a heart, a mind that is honest before you. But I know this text has challenged me. But I pray that I would have the kind of awe that you desire for me to have of you on a daily basis. But I pray for us as a church that we would live in awe of you and, and properly understand our sinfulness that we would live controlled by your spirit. That this morning we would make right with you areas where we have failed you. Lord, I thank you and I praise you for your word. Thank you for how it's a life-changing truth that we get to open up and read. So what I do continue to pray that we would live righteously. In your name we pray. Amen.